Hello, and welcome to the Chest Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Alice Gallaudet-Marais. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Chess Journal podcast. I'm Alice Gallo. I am one of the social media editors for the journal, and I am delighted to talk to Dr. Code and Dr. Kong today about their paper on Artificial Intelligence Improves Novices Bronchoscopy Performance, a Randomized Control Trial in a Simulated Setting. Welcome, Dr. Cold and Dr. Kong. Could you please introduce yourselves to our listeners? Thank you very much. My name is Dr. Christopher Masanti Cold. I'm a PhD student affiliated with the University of Copenhagen and Rieshospitalet here in Copenhagen, Denmark. I currently work here at the Copenhagen Academy for Medical Education and Simulation, where we conducted the study. And my name is Lars Kong. I'm the main supervisor of uh, Christopher's uh, PhD study. And I'm a cardiothoracic surgeon here in Copenhagen, and I'm working full-time now as a researcher, as a professor of medical education, where my main research areas are how to uh, acquire and how to ensure uh, technical skills, like, for instance, flexible bronchoscopy that we're going to talk about today. Thank you both so much for being here with me today. And to start, tell our listeners um, about a daily, um, uh, what a regular day of yours look like and how your day-to-day work inspired you to do this randomized trial. So me and Lars had been conducting research in simulation-based flexible uh, bronchoscopy for, I think, about five years now. And sort of the whole idea started that a lot of uh, our participants who are usually residents in pulmonary medicine and it's uh, mandatory for them to learn uh, to master flexible bronchoscopy. But unfortunately, a lot of our participants didn't complete the course. So we have been thinking about different interventions in order to make uh, participants when learning bronchoscopy to master the procedure faster and gaining more feedback. Because at the moment, only expensive VR or virtual reality simulators are available. And even though uh, they still have quite some limitations. So uh, sort of the whole idea came out of uh, our day-to-day work that unfortunately a lot of our participants don't complete the course and they desire more feedback when it comes to learning bronchoscopy. Yeah, and I would like to to supplement that because I'm heading our simulation center here in Copenhagen, where we have a lot of faculty involved in teaching the new trainees. And of course, they cost a lot of money and they are very busy people. So the idea of having an automated system to assist in training instead of me and our taxpayers having to pay very busy clinicians to supervise and assist the new trainees when learning a new skill uh, made it obvious to look towards new technologies. And as uh, Christopher said, when you have a very expensive virtual reality simulator, the 
as system systems are already in there but when you have more physical uh, phantoms where you can they're more realistic you have a better sense of resistance uh, and you can use the real endoscopes to practice on these the big downside of these is that you you cannot use them probably without some kind of supervision and assistance some kind of guidance and that comes down to before the system was invented, it would all come down to busy, expensive supervisors. I'm not saying that we can do now uh, without these. We still need them, especially to show them how um, you drive the bronchoscope, how you hold the bronchoscope. But a lot of the training can now be done only assisted by artificial intelligence and not by a consultant standing next to them. And also probably saves uh, patients also, right? So probably safer for patients. This is the huge question for the future because the an AI system like the one described in this uh, paper that actually uh, goes into the regulations as a medical device meaning that we are free to use it for training purposes but before we are allowed to take that AI and use it with real patients then uh, we need some uh, approved from our health authorities. So uh, that's the next question for the future. I love that. So walk, walk us through the methods and, and how you randomized and trained your subjects. So it's a randomized controlled trial, and we in we are located right next to the University of Copenhagen, who has quite a lot of uh, medical students. So we invited the participants, medical students from the University of Copenhagen, to come and participate in a randomized controlled trial. So when they showed up, they were randomly assigned either to be taught by the method we teach here at uh, at Kames, where they have uh, a published uh, four landmarks approach in order to navigate the bronchial tree. Otherwise, they were randomized to this new AI-assisted intervention where they would train using the AI. And the group that trained using the AI um, were then tested, or both groups were tested in the same environment in the end, where they had to perform one full bronchoscopy that was not assisted by the AI in order to make the test similar to the training environment of the control group. And I'm actually amazed how easy it is for us to um, enroll medical students. Of course, as Christopher says, our, our university is quite big. The University of Copenhagen, uh, we have right now a little bit more than 4,000 medical students enrolled. Um, we have more than 500 graduating uh, every year. Uh, so we have quite a big recruitment base, and um, that helps us a lot, of course. But we are also very aware that we need to um, to find them using social media, not by placing a physical poster in in their cafeteria, <laughs> but um, but meet with them where they are, so to speak. And as a small extra trick is that after they have. Um, helped us with the study. We give them a diploma to identify them as 
participants in uh, in a study and and they can actually use that when they later apply for the initial positions that they have shown interest in a speciality like pulmonary medicine or, or thoracic surgery that's great and quite different than than when i was in medical school that i remember seeing the posts in the cafeteria to like volunteer for studies Another question I had about the methods, did every student watch the video or just the ones that were uh, randomized to the AI watch the video? That part that part was a question that I had. So we wanted to standardize the design as much as possible uh, and decrease the amount of human interaction. So first, when they came, they just saw a brief video that was similar for the two, group, two groups explaining what is a bronchoscopy and that you should go visit all 18 segments, do so in a structured order and do it in at least time as possible. That minutes, that video was approximately four minutes. Then they were randomized and each group then watched a three-minute video explaining them about the intervention. And as Christopher said, this was basically uh, done to standardize uh, the information because uh, a risk of these randomized controlled trials would be that the group who gets the least effective intervention will have more help from the researchers standing next to them. They need more help and then they will typically be offered more help because we are all humans. So it's so tempting to assist and help uh, the group that needs this the most. But we actually want to measure the efficacy of the two different interventions without human interaction. This is, and we agree th uh, on that, it's a little bit artificial because you would never make a complete bronchoscopy training program with no um, supervisors. Uh, they, we need supervisors at some point during the, the training, but for a scientific purpose, it's much easier and more stringent when you can uh, standardize the interventions and uh, keep the research question as isolated as possible. Absolutely. Uh, randomization and the standardization was perfect. So thank you. And you looked at outcomes for structure progress, procedure time, and diagnostic completeness. Can you can you expand uh, on what on what those were? Yes, of course. So the most uh, intuitive is, of course, that when you do a bronchoscopy, you should be able to visualize and visit all 18 bron bronchial segments. And that is a diagnostic completeness. So the score goes from zero to 18. And to uh, supplement that, mm -hmm. we know there are 19 segments, but yeah. uh, in the, in our uh, anatomy atlases and, and in basic bronchoscopy, uh, segment number one and two on the left side, they're normally fused uh, often fused or the anatomical variations are so big uh, so um, uh, so that you uh, normally just name them segment one plus two and that's why we have uh, called them 18 uh, places to go and not 19. So that is the first outcome measure. Of course, we want to make sure basically that they visualize as much as the bronchial tree as they can. The second outcome measure is a procedure time. Of course, the procedure time should be as slow as possible in order to limit uh, potential complications, uh, hypoxemia and uh, patient discomfort. 
And then we sort of added this rather new outcome measure called structured progress, because uh, everyone can go through the bronchial tree like a rat in a maze and inspect all segments, but that doesn't show whether it's done in a structured or unstructured order. So the structured progression score is a score where you are awarded you are awarded one point every time you progress in a structured order, meaning that you if you're in the right upper lobe, you go from segment one to two and then to three, then you would be awarded full points. But if you go from three and then to one and then to two, you don't do it quite in a structured way. So it's sort of to have an automatic assessment of how structured the progression through the bronchial tree has been. Exactly. The automatic way of doing that. Because if somebody like you, Alice, was standing next to our uh, trainees, then it would be easy for them to say, this is segment three, here we have segment two, and here we have segment one. But when you want a computer to... Um, to be able to score them, then we need to them to do it in the exact same order, uh, because otherwise we needed some voice recognition, and then it would be a mess again. And I actually believe I've been teaching flexible bronchoscopy for uh, close to twenty years now. I did my PhD on an assessment of flexible bronchoscopy a long time ago, and I believe that. When you're really experienced, you can come up with your own systems and you can do some uh, jumps here and there and, and go directly uh, into what matters. But as a new trainee, it's really, really important to have that systematic approach where you do it the same time every time. And normally when I teach, I say, when you've done 500, you're free to do it however you like. But the come first 500, you need to do it like I teach you. Yeah. Whenever, after you've done 500, you can come up with your own system. Until then, you do my system. I love that. Exactly. <laughs> I totally agree, Alice. <laughs> and tell me, so tell us about the results. What did you find? So for the for the two groups, we thought a median difference because we only had 10 in each group. So normal distribution could not be assumed. And we used median for all outcome issues for that reason. So for diagnostic completeness, the uh, intervention group, or as we call them, the feedback group on a median uh, level saw three and a half uh, more segments than the uh, control group. And it was a significant difference. But what was even more surprising is that there was a 13 and a half uh, point difference in the SP score. So the discriminatory ability of the structured progression score was way, way higher than the diagnostic completeness. And it sort of showed that not even did the intervention group or the feedback group see more segments. They did it in a way, way, way more structured order. And they were also able to actually do it in almost or in three and a half minutes shorter procedure time. So for all the outcome measures, we found a quite significant uh, difference, and we were quite surprised that the SP score showed such a high uh, difference. And I was actually surprised because we made, of course, many other uh, randomized trials in, in different simulation, uh, comparing different uh, teaching uh, designs uh, when we use simulation. But this has been... I think one of the most significant differences um, that we have seen. And um, I'm 
Okay. I know that if you have enough time and you're patient enough, then you will be able to visualize close to all segments in the bronchial tree. But doing this in a systematic and efficient way, um, that takes practice. And that is what um, you will often not uh, reach this level before you have done perhaps 50 or more clinical bronchoscopies. So seeing this group of complete novices being trained over and over in a systematic way in a very short time, the average training time was... Uh, the average time spent training was uh, just over two hours. Yeah. And then when wow. they went to the test, the mm. exam, they were able to to perform so well. And actually, if we go back to what we could call experience, you know, when you have your own system, when you've done more than 500 bronchoscopies, we compared it to a similar study in a sort of in the similar setting. And the experts or the experience, those who have performed more 500 bronchoscopies, were only able to see 17 segments. So our group actually, when it came to diagnostic completeness, outperformed experts or experience who maybe have their own way of doing it. Um, from a similar study and that surprised me quite a lot that they were able to become so good in only a little bit more than two hours of training and of course we we totally acknowledge that this was in a simulated environment uh, so we are not saying that a couple of hours of training is enough to let uh, young trainees perform bronchoscopies on their own you know, on real patients but we we take this as a very important first step towards um, hopefully a revolution of the way we uh, practice um, technical skills. Absolutely. It is fascinating. One thing that fascinated me, and I was wondering if it fascinated you too, um, it was the comments from from the subjects too um, that you put on your results uh, a little bit that they also think they they um, recommended the the system of training and and uh, con- wanted to continue to use it. Exactly. If we if we highlight one of the we did an intrinsic motivation inventory where they rank uh, each comment from one to seven seven meaning that they uh, agree totally with with the whatever's being said. And uh, if we go to the feedback group and we ask them if they would like to continue to use this training system, actually all of the 10 participants gave it uh, uh, like a full score at at seven. Yeah, whereas the control group were still, they liked it, but not nearly as much. So when we asked them, I would like to continue to use this training system, half of them were, were more hesitant and I believe that you need feedback when you when you practice. Mm-hmm. And what we show here is that the feedback necess- does not necessarily need to come from experienced doctors that you uh, admire and look up to. S- the feedback, a simple, f- cheap, uh, automatic feedback like uh, provided by artificial intelligence, that was enough to motivate and uh, advance our learners. That's amazing. Amazing. And, um, and uh, tell me, tell me what's next. I'm excited. 
So uh, in just a few weeks, the European Respiratory Society is conducting its yearly conference. And I, with a, a contributor from um, Imperial College London, uh, we're going there because we only tested this system on novice bronchoscopist, but it would be interesting to see whether first, if this, if the system or the AI can distinguish between operator performance, but it's also quite interesting to see if even intermediate or experienced operators actually can benefit from this system. So we are conducting another study already in a few weeks in, in Milan since all of the the most prominent uh, respiratory and intensivist physicians of Europe are gathered there. And we are looking very much forward to see uh, yeah, how it turns out. Yep. I, I'm I'm very old uh, and I've done bronchoscopies for many years. So I'm totally um, a, a total believer that this system will be good for novice bronchoscopists. Also, I believe that when you are intermediate it would be nice to have a system explaining to you where you are and pointing out if you have missed one or more segments in the bronchial tree but i'm also so old that i believe i can do it i don't i don't need this gps system for the bronchial tree but my belief as you know as scientists that that is not enough we need some evidence and um I must admit that sometimes I turn on my GPS system in my car, even though I'm a very experienced uh, driver. So we we don't know what this study will show, but it will be amazing if the system can also help more experienced bronchoscopists. I, I cannot help ask, what, what do you think, Alice? I, I was thinking the same thing. I, I, I want to try it. I I. <laughs> I'm not going to ERS this year, but I now I wish I was. But uh, I want to try too because I when I was reading your your paper again, and I'm so thankful you wanted to talk to me today. But I was like, this is amazing because, like, like you said at the beginning, it could be that we put all our trainees through your protocol to through your training, and then we come in to kind of like make sure that that they are doing the way that the AI tool is telling them to do before they even go in and practice on patients, you know? So I'm, I'm excited. I think this is amazing. And how, how are you, how, how are you um, going to use the tool moving forward? Like, how are you going to use it to train your, your future pulmonologists, your future thoracic surgeons um, at your institution? We have uh, already started the transition towards less use of uh, experienced doctors. So in the future, we will rely more on video-based introduction. Uh, we have all been um, hearing ourselves repeating the same instructions uh, over and over again when we teach uh, bronchoscopies yes. or other skills. Uh, we would like to do that uh, video-based in the future and then let the uh, self-training be directed by artificial intelligence. So we have we could call it like a virtual mentor or virtual supervisor um, uh, leading you towards the goal. And the way we would like to 
uh, implement this is that we would still uh, maintain the expert like like yourself, Alice, so that you would be the one to sign them off. All the training could be done, and then the human experts come in and test them in the end when when the machine tells us they're good enough, then I still would like to bring in an expert uh, to make sure that their skills are, are good enough. And then we will, of course, continue to rely on human supervision in the transition into clinical practice, because it's important to acknowledge that this system here and future more advanced system it will not cover everything. So like patient contact, human interaction, the um, appropriate uh, focus on patient safety and stuff like that still needs to be covered by supervisors. I don't think this will ever replace human supervision, but it will definitely um, do a lot to reduce the need uh, during uh, initial training. Fantastic. And that and that was going to be my next question. So for example, for one one thing that that I missed when when I was reading is like consent, like what what are we covering? So those things I believe we still need to teach our trainees to to make sure to talk to patients about potential complications, right? But also the benefits and and what would be like if they don't undergo a bronchoscopy for whatever reason they are undergoing the bronchoscopy. This is fascinating work, fascinating work. So um, tell tell our listeners like one take home point, each of you, and um, and invite them to come to ERS and see you at ERS. So the, the one take home point, yeah, ooh, it, it, that's difficult. It's just that two two hours of AI supervised practice can make uh, novice bronchoscopies perform quite impressive bronchoscopies in a simulated setting. And my take-home point, I would like to move five years into the future and hope at that point uh, my take-home message here would be that Performing technical procedures like flexible bronchoscopy should always be supported by artificial intelligence. Just like pilots land a plane using different navigational systems, and just as we now have cars who are able to drive around on their own, we should also assist our young doctors and even more experienced doctors with systems that can help them achieve a high and consistent quality of their procedures uh, throughout their career. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for for hanging out with me today. And thank you for the amazing work you're doing. I agree with you. I think I think AI is here to help us educators specifically with procedures. I think I think five years from now, just to use your same time frame, procedures are going to be even safer uh, in medicine than they are now. So I'm I'm excited for the future of medicine with AI tools. And to our listeners, I had the absolute pleasure of talking to Dr. Cold and Dr. Kong today about their uh, paper that is on this month of the Chess Journal, Artificial Intelligence Improves 
novices bronchoscopy performance, a randomized control trial in a simulated setting. I am Alice Gallo, one of the social media editors for the Chess Journal. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. And thank you for inviting us, Alice. Thank you so much. We really enjoyed it.